Hi there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of the Our Dealer Story podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Rob Vanderloop, co-owner of Vanderloop Equipment at their Brilliant Wisconsin store. The Agco dealership has three locations in the heart of Wisconsin's Dairyland. While there was once seven family members with ownership in the dealership, today Rob and his cousin Carrie have the majority share with Rob's son Mark, a minority owner. In good times, it's easy to have bad habits, and right now we're, we're looking at every expense and, and trying to maintain expenses, but we also have to look at finding different niche markets that we can sell into to offset the, the reduction in sales under the dairy industry. That was Rob Vanderloop talking about how the dealership has had to diversify and find new niches to help offset the challenges the dairy industry has been facing. Before we head over to Rob, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. Okay, let's get things going. Here's my conversation with Rob Vanderloop, co-owner of Vanderloop Equipment. Rob, thanks for sitting down with us to talk about the business. To kick things off, can you share how and when Vanderloop Equipment first got started? My uh, grandfather and my dad started about 70 years ago. My uh, dad's three other brothers joined in shortly after that. And then what are your grandfather and father's names? My, my grandfather, Norbert, and my father, Norman, Okay. were the, the two original. And his brothers, uh, Dennis, Don, and Anton came in okay. later. And they started as a shepherd dealer? Shepherd tractors, yeah. Okay. Shepherd what? diesels, yeah. Okay. They were in the farm industry at that time, so I guess it was a farmer dealer, I suppose you'd say. Uh, and uh, they developed, uh, you know, they started to sell equipment. So, And then in, I think in 60, 63 or 64, they became a Massey Ferguson contracted dealer. At that point, was were the brothers also involved? When did they kind of get I, I believe most of them, one of the uncles was in the military, and, and he came in after he got out of the military. Okay. So it would have been right around there. Okay. And then um, have you always been here in Brilliant, or did the... This was the original, yeah. The original farmhouse, and that was next door here, and that, that was not now gone and buildings occupy that space but uh, yeah it was originally this is the original location yes okay is this after moving off the farm is this the building that you guys started in or is this a new no, building at no, some point no there, there was another building that was um next door that that was had a shop and and offices and this building this current location was built in 75 okay and uh it originally had the the service shop in it well that didn't work out so well with the shop and the offices being the same so then the the shop and the, the service shop in the back was built okay when did you get involved with the business it would have been when i was 21 years old about okay i was 21 so i i had other jobs in life so i Knew what it was like to to work for other people. Okay, I think it was intentional by my my father and stuff that you know I needed to work for somebody else before working for the company. Yeah, were you working just for a different dealership or what were you doing? No, I, was, you could... I was in the truck industry. Okay, and I was a truck mechanic and cheese maker and different things. All sorts of things. All sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you um, growing up spend a lot of time in the dealership? I was around the the. I was around the buildings and things like that as far as being having a part-time job here or something. No, I did not. Okay. But but you hung around kind of. Yeah, and, yeah. Built go-karts in the shop. So. So they, <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
When did your cousin Carrie get involved? Um, it would have been probably a year after I was in. I started in the service shop as a service technician, okay. and then I um, moved into the parts department a couple years later. Okay. And I think that was when Carrie started in the company. Okay. And how did he also start off in service, or what no, did he? No, he started in the parts. And he started doing more sales, so he went into sales, and I stayed in the parts until my father passed away, and then I started into the management. Um, and then what were, at some point, also, there were seven family members Still in the seven, business. Yes. How, how was that sort of divided? What, what was, was the dynamic like? It was challenging, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, everybody needs to know their roles. You know, everybody needs to know what their position in the company is. And, and you know, with, with seven, it was, you know, there was monthly meetings, you know, uh, board meetings and things like that, but uh, not always the same ideas and, and going forward but mm -hmm. uh, since that time between you know the deaths in the family and the and the retirements you know now we're down to three so two carry myself and then my son mark has a, a small a small percentage when did um mark get involved um he's been with us i think seven years now seven or eight years okay. now so did you have him do the same thing you did and was did he go work Somewhere yeah, else first. Yeah, he was first. working for other companies. Yeah, he was working other places, yeah. So he got the feel of taking orders from somebody and not being the boss of coming through the uh, Coming through the generations, it's, it's challenging to gain the respect of the employees on a generational change. Mm -hmm. You know, that takes, takes a long time to, to gain that respect. And it's when, when, a, when a change happens in the generational, it's, you know, it's a challenging time for her. For all the employees. How have you guys you know, worked through that or you personally how'd you try to ease some of that or probably, can you? Probably more you know probably as much lead by example and, and you know don't expect people to do anything you want to do yourself or I want to do myself. Now I probably uh, if I get myself in trouble by going back and doing too much stuff but <laughs> the, the, the technology everything changes and the way things are done are changes and these guys are very smart so the guys yeah. come back to the service shop and, and that they're, they're very smart and, uh, and uh, we're fortunate to be able to have I think the best techs that, that are available um, with our with our pay plan and our pay scale and we we attract really good guys that's good because it's it's challenging out there for yeah. for a lot of people to find yeah good techs right now yeah and i think they you know we try to make the work environment as good as it possibly can you know it's a it's a it's hard on the bodies it's you know they they last our our shop foreman has been with us 37 years so oh wow yeah he's still moving but <laughs> he's got a lot of pain Kind of what's the dynamic of, of running the business? Are you and Carrie both owners yes. in the business? Yeah. So what, um, while you're filling the general manager role, what's kind of the partnership like there with the two of you? Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, most of, you know, I guess he apparently trusts me to do the right thing. So, <laughs> That's so, good. You know, I, I, you know we... we we do obviously talk on a daily basis, right. and, you know, things that are going on, but the day-to-day -day stuff is, is, you know, just make the decision and go forward. So, you know, we, I'm not much of a meeting kind of guy, so okay. we, we have, you know, we're not to the point where we have to have meetings to, when I can walk across the office and talk to him. Does he have any kids that will one day potentially be in the business? He has some daughters. Um, I don't know, right today, not that I, not that I 
so far for C, but in, in what capacity as far as maybe accounting capacity or something like that, very po it's possible. It's possible, uh, okay. So um, as far as in the, other than accounting, um, I don't see too much, but who knows? The college and, and okay, they're still things. young, so. They're, they're still young, yes. Okay, and then do you have, is it just Mark or do you just have any Mark, other kids? Yeah. Okay. No. no, I have another daughter, but she's not, no, she's not. Uh, <laughs> no interest there? The farming, well, yeah, not maybe not so much no interest, but where do you fit that person into the into the company? Right. Otherwise, you know, and I think that happens with family businesses when you have too many family members that you know you, everybody needs to be a producer, and and yeah. also how you how you fix it if if one or two are producing enough. Yeah. You know, it's that's the that's the biggest challenge with. I think even in the past when we had seven mem seven members or seven family members, yeah, you know, they, uh, it was easy to feel like somebody wasn't pulling their weight. Mm -hmm. Did you always want Mark to be to come be part of the business, or was it just a I'll let you decide for yourself? Yeah, it was pretty much I'll let you decide, and if you want to, you know, take on the challenge because it can be over the years. You know, we have so many ups and downs. It, it's it's great when it's good and it's not so great when it's not. Right. You know, so I think the, uh, I think the industry is changing and it's, you know, it's a challenge and we have to keep going forward, so. Yeah, was he in here as a kid a lot or? Uh, no, not really, no, I did the same thing. Like I said, we made him go and get other jobs yes. and work for other people before, um, before he came into the company. So as far as when he was young, did he spend a lot of time in the shop? You know, yeah. not really, no. Okay. He these, didn't well, these young kids have a different idea of things than we did when we were young. <laughs> so, yeah, the millennial generation is a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. He's on the front end of the millennial, so he's he says he's not a millennial, but. I do the same thing, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I try to claim not to be, but. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there, there are, there are Lots of good people, and, and we just have to find the right ones. Yeah. So, what were some of the having you having worked outside of the business mm -hmm. before you came, and your son doing it? What were why is that important, or what you know? What did you learn before coming here that you were able to well, kind of put in place? It's mainly you know about respecting authority, and you know it's a lot of if you tell somebody they have to do something, it's probably not going to work if, if you ask them it's going to work and some of that's the Dale Carnegie thing I guess and but uh, getting people to you know and we all have to work together as a team so I mean if and these guys like I said the employees have great ideas and I'm all about change I like change I, we need to be changing mm -hmm. because if we don't change we're we're going backwards so we encourage our people to suggest changes so you like change how is the dealership different today than it was Back when you started, how how have you changed it, or you and the employees changed it? Processes mainly. I mean, some of the processes and, and facilities, and and you know, updating facilities and processes and business systems and computer systems, and just more efficient, more customer responsive, more communication. Communication's challenging. Yeah. So between the departments and the, and the customers, and making sure that that it's run more professionally like a like a uh, automotive dealer or something would be so so your customer base is primarily dairy customers mm -hmm. how um how has that changed over the years 
um, and how have you kind of had to yeah, we have, roll I mean, with it? Yeah, yeah. We've had, we had a lot of smaller farms that consolidated into larger farms, whether they were buyouts or 20 years ago, we had, you know, lots of 50, 60, 70 cow dairies. And now most of our customer base is larger dairies. So six, 700 or larger. They're run more as a manage more as a as a business than they are or as a family farm. Okay. Good or bad, I don't know, but uh, you know they have management of people and they have you know business accounting systems and things like that. So the farms have gotten more professional, so we have, we have to also you know okay. keep up with that. We'll get back to Vanderloop's story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farmequipment.com for the latest industry news. A quick break in the action to invite you to our annual Dealership Mind Summit. Check out this unique management event for farm equipment dealers only at www.dealershipmindssummit.com. It's a quick hit, two-day mastermind style summit that connects you to your peers of all colors. Come participate and learn from the very best minds in the ag machinery dealer world, all seeking solutions to your same challenges. www.dealershipmindssummit.com Now back to the story of Vanderloop Equipment and how the downturn in the dairy industry has impacted the dealership and how they've adapted their business and sought out new niche markets to serve. How have you had to um, change as you know we're in this current dairy downturn? What uh, what sort of impact has that had on on you guys? You know, you always look at expenses, but there's only so much expense you can cut. You know, so it's it's in good times. It's easy to have bad habits, and so mm-hmm. right now we're we're looking at every expense and, and trying to maintain expenses. But we also have to look at finding different niche markets that we can sell into to offset the the reduction in sales into the dairy industry. Okay. Uh, what are some of the things you've done? Um, you guys have some different kind of unique equipment that you sell. Mm-hmm. How have you approached doing that, bringing, introducing something new to the market and finding different types of solutions yeah. for your customers? Yeah. We have hired a, a, a agronomist that, that does, you know, crop consultant that's, that work for the university and work for the different extensions and things, doing management plans for, for the industry, for the dairy industry. To, we're working with that to come up with new technology to, or new ways of doing things to, to improve the, the management systems of the, of the nutrients and things like that. So that's, that's, an, that's an avenue that we're looking into more and we're steering more towards and then also some other diversified avenues. We're working with some of the airports for airport equipment and different oh, wow. things. So. That's pretty cool. With, with you, um, Carrie and Mark, how has your roles changed over the years and how you work together as a family and then also just as partners? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the cousin relationship between Carrie and myself, we've always kind of had defined roles that, that my role was the general management and his role was sales management and sales, the sales side of it, the whole good sales side of it. That still is, we each know our roles and we know what we need to do. Uh, Mark 
is working into the sales management or sales management and technology side. So I guess he's probably got some of that. When I was younger, you know, this is the way we need to do it. Yeah. And and that's good because I guess that, you know, we need to look at other ways to do things. So, you know, and, and fresh perspectives, but uh, all the technology and the social media and stuff is, you know, something that he has to prove to me or prove to us that it's, that it's, you know, where it needs to be. I think there's a, a line between social media, you know, the, the advertising that way and the traditional advertising and, and demonstration. There's probably somewhere halfway in between mm-hmm. that we need to do both. You know, watching him as your son growing into a position, what's that been, been like? It's been, I mean, he's very good at what he does as far as the technology and the mapping and the, and the variable rate and all that stuff. The interaction to customers sometimes he goes too fast on you know too fast on over over the customer's knowledge base. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of had to pull him back a little bit to to you know listen first and then don't overwhelm them with technology. Yeah. You know so you know work the technology into as we go you know as a in a broad form not so much in a overwhelming sense. Earlier when we were talking you were telling a story about you know a father and son buying a piece of equipment together and and the son was actually the one that was kind of holding it up how you know having working with your own son how is your experience with working with you know two generations of customers how's that changed or what what's that been like? It's been I mean it's it's good I mean I, I think you know we have to look at succession we have to look at the future and we have to you know is 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 100% of what we do today correct? Absolutely not. Is is 100% of what he's suggesting correct? Absolutely not. So we have to somehow, you know, get to in between those two and, and work to uh, work to be somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we need the technology. We need that. It's very hard to make any margin or money on it, but it's customer service that we have to have in order to sell the, the rest of the equipment. So it's, it's much easier now that it's in integrated more into the equipment from the factory oh, right. than it is trying to add third-party stuff. So. Going back a little bit, so the dealership started here in Brilliant. You have three stores now. Um, at what points did you add on those other two stores and how did those additions come about? The uh, we had the, the first acquisition we had was at Marathon in central Wisconsin and that was about 130 miles away. And we ran that for about 18 years, and we just struggled to ever get that to work right. We bought the, the Lena store about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and uh, that store we bought an empty building with no inventory, and we started with all new inventory, new employees, new people. Um, where the first one we bought was existing inventory, existing people, existing old buildings, everything, you know, so we kind of learned what not to do on that first one. So, uh, and then the Beaver Dam location, when we opened that, going on three years now, that was a brand new building with, you know, new people and stuff. And we had some some, uh, key employee people that passed away at the Marathon store. So we decided at that time to, close that store and focus on the, the Beaver Dam location, the new location. Okay. Being it was, you know, I, for us, for us, 100 miles, 120 miles apart is too far. Okay. It seems like um, now we're 50 to 60 miles apart, so at each location. What were some of the things you learned from that marathon experience? Don't buy old buildings. Don't buy <laughs> old parts. 
don't buy old customer base, you know, things change. So what we were, what we were, what our market was, what we were good at wasn't what they really needed in that area. Okay. So that market over there was a little bit different industry than what we were here. So we were kind of jumping from one industry to a completely different industry and we struggled with it. Okay. What was, what was that one more? Ginseng and, you know, smaller, you know, smaller farms and not quite the, I always, I kind of said, well, they were about 15 years behind what was happening in eastern Wisconsin okay. with the dairy consolidations and things like that, and it really always stayed that way. There's, there's some larger dairies over there, but uh, not the way there are on this side of the state. Do you think you'll grow in the future and add, add another location again, or more uh, than one we, more location? Yeah, we possibly will. I mean, it has to be the right situation. It takes a long time to develop the, the people, the team, the mm-hmm customer base, the machine population, all that. So it's going to be 10 years for sure to hopefully 10 years we can have, you know, the well-established down in the Beaver Dam location. We built it plenty big enough to be as much volume as this location. Okay. Um, and that's the projected volume is, is the because of the customer potential customer base is about the same as it is here. The Lena store up north is a little bit smaller customer base, so the potential is a little smaller. So you would get Beaver Dam up to its full capacity about before you necessarily would grow more? on the opportunity. That's true. (laughs) I could always ask, are you a buyer or seller? Well, what's the deal? You know, know, if it's a good deal, you never know, it might be a seller. If it's a good deal, it might be a buyer, but it really all depends on the opportunity. Keep your options open. Yeah. To, well, I guess it's always, you know, managing growth and being able to slow down as fast as you go forward so I mean being able to when the industry takes a 15-20% cut in in market the market goes down 15-20% to 20%, you have to be able to pull back 15-20% to 20% on on all the expenses mm-hmm. so just managing growth um, not getting expenses too high when the times are good because it, when they aren't it, you have to manage those too, so. Yeah. As you try to find kind of these different um, segments to get into and to diversify, how do you approach doing that? What's kind of leads the, the charge does, there? Yeah, Kerry does a lot of that, scouting new products in different potential markets, and, and he does a lot of that with, uh, you know, with the how are we going to make this cost effective? Most of the time, it's it's not something. It's not a want that these guys are gonna buy. It's something that that will either be a financially benefit them in their industry or in their business. If we're selling a half a million dollar piece of equipment, we have to show them how that's gonna return more than that. You know, so that that's where I guess some of a lot of the the sales and the, the concepts come from and then we have to look and see is this really going to work or yeah. is it not so have you ever had one where you you did it and then you were like what were we oh, yeah. thinking oh, yeah. what why did we try that yeah we did our first triple more we brought in from europe it was a, a three section more on a tractor more and uh we sold it it ran a half of first crop and then we ended up buying it back and it sat out in a lot for 20 years and we cut it off for scrap <laughs> But since then, we now have the triple mower market, the three-section market, where the tractor mowers are are pretty commonplace now. Yeah. So, and uh, we were doing that. 20 we were years just a little ahead so of the curve a little bit. Uh, yeah, we kind of 
stumbled on that one, but yeah, not, not everything works. When it came back, were you apprehensive about, do you sell a, a triple mower like that today? We do it today, oh yeah. yeah the <laughs> was there any, like, I'm not sure, uh, sure about no, this, we got no. burned the first time? No, it was, no, it's usually, okay. well, we did that wrong. So okay, let's, not do, that <laughs> let's not do it this way. Yeah, so no, we, we kept on to the to the to that market, you know, with the tractors and the mowers versus, so we knew that didn't work, so we went on to the next thing, and, and we went on to a single mower, and then we went on to the three-section mower. No, we never gave up on the concept. It was just gave up on the, that brand. That specific that one. specific one, yeah. Okay. So the conditioning stuff that we found out, you can't use high-speed time conditioning in alfalfa at Rexit. Okay. So... Any any other lessons like that along the way that? Oh, yeah, there are. I mean, there there are obviously things that, that don't work, and we try and the research and development and stuff like that. We'll, you know, we try and and it, a lot of times it doesn't turn out well. So and we have to. And if it doesn't turn out well, we have to ourselves deal with it because we can't stick the customers with it. So yeah, you know, all this all the new stuff we try is really a, a minimum risk for the customer. You've made the trip over to Germany for Agritechnica and some of their shows. Um, what, well, I guess, what's that been like, and what you know, how how often have you gone to that, and um, why has that been something you've found? Yeah, the benefit show, show is every other year, so it's a it's a biannual show, and we we as some capacity of the company go every show. Okay, we're taking customers or. or Whatever. A lot of the manufacturers now are doing customer trips and things like that to to Agritechnica. Just so much stuff from around yeah. the world. It's it's crazy. And you look at you know ninety percent of the stuff will never work in our area, but you try to find that five percent or one percent to to well that'll maybe work. And then we look at that. So a lot of the a lot of the concepts we look at do come from the from the European shows and different places. What if you're when you've brought customers over? Mm-hmm. What are they kind of wowed by it? Yeah, a lot of them are, you know, I mean, these customers, you know, with media these days and with the internet and everything, they, they do, you know, they see a lot of stuff. But if you think something's really weird, you'll see 10 or 20 of them there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just one manufacturer. So they're, they're, they are, I think, the, the factory tours, and we take factory tours and things mm-hmm. like that, and that's, that's probably the highlight, the factory tours. So. Okay. What do you think, uh, what's ahead for Vanderloop? Um, I don't know. We'll find out. You know, the, the, uh, we're always looking ahead, trying to find new stuff. Carrie's meeting today with some, um, people from other countries for, uh, for, I don't know if it's the dealer development, the, the, or the business development from, from the federal level at the U.S. And that's, okay. um, you know, we deal with the Danish consulate and some of the other, the other countries come here and try for business development and, okay. and this one was uh this one was one for they wanted to meet equipment dealers so okay um ireland i believe it was ireland um enterprise or something mm-hmm. like that so yeah. that they maybe have sales equipment that they would like to like to get into the u.s market okay you know for and and so it's it's dealer or it's business development for the other countries so. how'd you guys get involved in that to you <laughs> The lady called and said, hey, we've got these people from Ireland coming and they'd like to meet the farm equipment dealers. Okay. So, and that was actually now. So, I kind of had a 
double book, so Carrie went to do that one. Okay. All right. But yeah, we're always looking at uh, we're always looking at different things from around the world, and not that we don't build good stuff here, but and some of our brands that we have are owned by U.S. companies and yeah. produced in other countries. Right. So it's a world market now. Do your customers seem receptive to that stuff from that's kind of different than you know stuff you typically see in Wisconsin? I think so. I mean, I are uh, I think they trust us that we're not going to sell them something that's going to sit in the back fence line right here yeah you know they're not going to get stuck with it so a lot of the stuff is on our reputation that we have to make sure that that we have out for them as much as you know us so if we're working with these com- companies to bring in new product and new technology we have to be able to you know obviously everybody has a little bit of risk in it but uh we have to minimize the risk for our end user customer because we can't lose them as a customer because we upset them because we sold them something that's not really going to work. Right. Yeah. You have to. You have to know what their yeah. their needs really are and know yeah, if you can be able to perform and prove what they say that we're going to be able to do, and then we have to do it. Right. So, and until we actually do it, it's it's a it's still a theory that yeah. we can do this. So, you know, and and somebody has to take that risk of the risk between this is the theory and this is what's reality yeah. and, and that's where we get stuck in the middle. So. Well, and it seems like you're not afraid of that that risk. It seems like you've taken I guess, a fair amount of yeah. chances. Well, that's probably where the gray hair comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, there is. Calculated I mean, risks. Calculated, yeah, yeah. And there are, you know, I mean, everything doesn't, everything doesn't work, obviously. And and you know there's cost to it but you have to minimize the risk as much as possible so and with these other companies out of these other countries and different things they have to trust us as much as we trust them to you know to be a good business partner yeah and it seems like it's so far working out pretty well for you guys so far yeah yeah it's been good so i mean said the industry down is is a challenge but that's probably a good thing we go through cycles and uh, the well-managed customers will be here and uh, and uh, you know, some won't be, but uh, I guess that's with any industry. Right. Anything else? No, I don't. Any other Vanderloop family secrets? Or? <laughs> <laughs> not that I can think of. Not that you want to tell. All right. Well, I think that's good. Thanks. Okay. This was Thank fun. You. Thanks so much to Rob for taking the time to sit down and share his story with us, and another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on this series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as a new episode is made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Rob Vanderloop. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of Our Dealer Story Podcast.